You're listening to Black Girl Blueprint. Because Black girls did it first. And honestly, better. Period. Period. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Black Girl Blueprint, your fave podcast for all the Gen Z Black girl tea. My name's Lauren. And my name is McKean, and thanks, y'all, for tuning into today's episode. So, you know, it's been a week. It's been a, a, a January has been a year in and of itself. So we really just wanted to take a minute and do some grounding conversations. And today we're talking about religion and our relationships with it. And this is actually going to be our first series, if you will. So it's going to be a two-part episode. Our next episode will be spirituality centered. But today I'm very hyped. We have two guests with us. Lauren, who we got? What we got going? Yes, we're so, so excited. This series is something that we've been like talking about, was kind of in the works for a while. Um, But we definitely thought it was important because, you know, we don't typically talk about religion in a way that's like casual, just like chatting with your friends about just like organized religion, especially like how growing up in a certain religion impacts you, maybe like the pros and cons and like everything that comes with that. So there's a lot to unpack, but we're very, very excited to have two very special guests with us today, Olivia and Rania. So they're gonna introduce themselves and just go ahead and tell us a little bit about themselves. So just girls, give us your name, your age, where you're from. And yeah, Olivia, why don't you go first? Um, My name's Olivia, I am 20 years old. Um, I grew up in Fairfield, Connecticut, um, and I currently go to Columbia University and I am majoring in urban studies, creative writing, and minoring in education studies. Hi everyone, my name is Rania. I'm 19. I grew up um, right outside of Minneapolis, Minnesota, so I'm from the Twin Cities area. Um, I go to UCLA in Los Angeles, California, and I'm majoring in film and television. What a major, wow. Oh, clear mind. (laughs) (laughs) We love the creativity. We love everything going on here. And we always think about like with, because a lot of us have been like back in school, you know, like you always have to like introduce yourself, especially for like small classes. And they're like, what's your name? What's like your age? And that's the most annoying thing ever. And you really can't learn much about people from that anyway. So we wanted to give you guys like, I don't know, a way to like show personality a little bit more in your introduction. Um, So we thought it'd be a cute question to be like, you know, if there's only three albums that you could ever take on a deserted island, which ones are you going to pick and why? And we're going to answer too, but whoever knows theirs off the top of their head, go ahead. Okay, I think I know mine off the top of my head. Um, <laughs> I would go with The Miseducation of Lauren Hill, just obviously, for obvious reasons. I don't think I need to explain that. Um, then I'd go with Telephone by No Name, because she's my favorite rapper and I think she's dope. And then um, I think I'd go with Blonde Frank Ocean, just for the sad nights when I'm alone on a deserted island. Very useful. Beautiful. I like that. Okay. Period. I like the quickness of that answer too. You really, you really for real. read that prepare. You knew that. All right. Like, shoot, maybe I should have thought about this before. <laughs> Constantly on repeat on my Spotify. So I, I had to take them, you know? I respect that. I really do. Lauren, do you have yours? Or Okay. I think I'm, I, okay, I'm going to agree with the Lauren Hill one. I think I'm going to add some Amy Winehouse in there just because like, I feel like that would be mine for like the sad nights. Just Amy and I kind of relate. I think I'd pick, it's really choosing between Back to Black or Frank for me. Maybe Back to Black. I think I'll go Back to Black, 
Miseducation of Lauren Hill. And I'm trying to think about in terms of moods, what else would I need? I feel like I need some like hype, like dance music, probably something to excite me. Honestly, I might pick Off the Wall by Michael Jackson might be one that I add in there. Maybe those are my top three. Okay, I think so. Well, for mine, I had to have Beyonce um, in there, of course. So I went with Dangerously in Love. Um, I'm more of like an R&B listener, so um, I'll, I'll do hers uh, self-titled album, Her, because that has like, what, 20 songs to it. Like, that will last me a couple days. <laughs> so, and then, um, but also I can't be just in my sad girl you know, moment if I'm deserted on an island. So I have to throw in um, Good Kid, Mad City, Kendrick Lamar. Okay. All right. Go ahead. What about you, McKean? You're up next. You're up last. You got to hit home with this one. Okay. This was very hard. And I was like scrambling through my playlist just now to try to like really decide like, what do I want to listen to forever? And I think what I have is first... Inner Visions by Stevie Wonder, because I could literally listen to that album every day, all day, like all the time. Oh, I think number two, I was like trying to make a range of sounds. So I think I had to have a hip hop album. And when I'm trying to think of my favorite hip hop album, I had to say Aquemini by Outkast, but I'm not really sure if that's the mm-hmm. one. So I'm going to say that for now, and I might have to revise this whenever we post. And I think my third album would be as a Beyonce stan for life. And as she was the first album I ever paid for with my own money. So I feel like I needed to say her, but I can't decide. And I'm like looking through all of them. And I think I'm going to say her self-titled album. And I was teetering between that and Lemonade, but also four because just like the whole discography is bomb, but I think I'm going to say the self-titled album by Beyonce. Okay, that's They're my three. Um, that was a lot of pressure, yeah. <laughs> my goodness. <laughs> Especially considering the fact that we talk about music literally every episode. One, I'm surprised Ungodly Hour isn't on there. I'm surprised SZA isn't on there, um, but it's okay. We still love them, but maybe not for our deserted album. I just need to see like, will they last me a lifetime? Because right now I listen to those two that you just mentioned definitely more than the three I just named like frequency wise but I'm kind of like is that because it's newer like is that because like you know that's just been my thing for this year like will I age out of it so I gotta wait and see like they haven't been around long enough (laughs) got it but anyways so moving on we are now getting into the read the room segment which is for anyone who doesn't know this is the time of our episode where we just talk about everything going on in the world. Normally it's black Twitter centric because that's kind of like all we do with our time. But, you know, we have a lot to talk about and I'm sure you guys can anticipate the things that we're gonna include. So first we we would be remiss not to talk about what happened last week at the Capitol. It's also Trump's final week of being president, which is amen, but like also mm-hmm. it's just like, how's he still here? So, like, I don't know, just thoughts on that, reactions on that. Like, how do you guys feel about it? Like, break your mindset with all of this. I'm tired. (laughs) I'm just tired. This week has been bizarre. Just, like, watching, like, all the clips of everybody in the Capitol. And just, I'm just, like, I don't even know how to process this stuff anymore. He just needs to go. He just needs to be gone. Fair enough. It's big, big good riddance energy. I'm, like, how, first of all, first of all, like you said, how did you last this long. I figured first year in, they would have been like, actually, never mind, mistake. But just 
other thing to think that I'm scared of is that those riots at the Capitol have me terrified for like inauguration. And I feel like New York, California also, we're far enough from like DC to like maybe not be directly involved in the action. But like, what if it's like ripple effects throughout the whole country and just the white supremacists start acting up and I'm like, I'm not mentally prepared for that at all. There also, I I saw in the news, like I'm always watching the news, which is, I don't even know why, like just throughout my full days, I'll just sit in the TV and just be running on CNN and MSNBC. But they were saying that they're also protecting, like they're establishing security around all of the state capitals in addition to like the actual capital in DC, which is kind of crazy. Like, and I don't know, I was talking to my aunt about this and like, she was like, no, you know, this is a one-time thing. Like this will be done. But I'm like, I'm not convinced because this isn't even the first time, like remembering Charlottesville and like the craziness that went down down there. And like, I just feel like the the response is almost too lighthearted. You know what I mean? Like the response is almost not a regarding like, the weightiness of this all and it's like it really is crazy like that. I don't know if you guys saw that video of I mean I'm not gonna say I always sympathize with police because I don't but the video of the black cop in the capitol like alone having to like sort of push these people off and now they're saying that like there was a point when I guess he had to choose like there was a hallway and to his left was where the senate floor was or like where all of the representatives were, I forget the name of that room, whatever it is, but, and then to the right was where he led them. And like, they followed him thinking that like, maybe that's where they should go. And literally like all of them were a minute away. Like, and if he had gone that way, or if he hadn't thought in that means to sort of guide these people wrong, they could have gotten in while the representatives were still in there, which is so crazy to me. And like, I I mean, like even Ayanna Presley, the Massachusetts rep, her saying that like in her office there had been a, a a box installed, a button for safety that had been installed because of previous threats she had received. And then when they went to use it on that day, it was mysteriously gone. Like that's just weird. Like this was not just this was an inside job. You know what I mean? Like that's not yeah. Yes. It's crazy. Like, she just said, like, literally no explanation. Like, they tried to find out why. Like, her team was just like, no, the button is not there. Like, the whole unit had been uninstalled. Like, Wait, I did not hear that. Oh, my God. Also, just with the ease that they got into the Capitol, I mean, it just shouldn't have been that easy to begin with. And I feel like, for me, I feel like also the response has been so lighthearted. Also, just considering the fact that when they were marching into the Capitol, all these crazy people, you know, they they weren't even, it wasn't even with like American patriotism. They were flying like Trump's like MAGA flags everywhere. So like for me, what I've been thinking so much about is like the response of when Trump still has this crazy fanatic following, but he doesn't have to abide by like the checks and balances of the presidency. So the kind of like riots he could incite just because he he, he doesn't have to follow any rules anymore. Not that he's really following any right now, but still, but still it's, it's wild. It's terrifying. Like when I first saw it, like my mind instantly went to um, like, comparing it to what happened in Minneapolis like this year and I was just like all the things that like as a community like we've witnessed or like literally worldwide um, all around the country and it's like all of that was because someone died and these white people are mad that someone's not president anymore like I was like this is just not fair like because like all the chaos trauma 
just the wildest things that like me even personally having seen um back home just for these like white folks to have a nice little field trip and i was like but i was like halfway through the day like i kept on refreshing my twitter i was like no like i'm not about to get pressed about this i'm like this is really Mm -hmm. just you know that uh twitter meme of like uh the spider-man like pointing at himself i was like this is for real what's going on right now i'm not gonna sit here and punch the air about it i was like you know what like y'all do what y'all gotta do i'm gonna sit i'm gonna sit this one out (laughs) no i saw a tweet that was like it was actually kind of funny like honestly though let's say this twitter that day was hilarious she was working overtime For real, I was like, did you guys have this content, like, prepped? Like, I'm just like, who was thinking of it? Because it was cracking me up. There was one tweet that I saw that was just like, damn, like, we were protesting, like you said, because people are being killed. Like, there is a literal uh, defense of livelihood. But, like, what do these people think is going to happen with their lives when Joe Biden, a whole moderate president, is elected? Like, your your freedom is not being taken by nobody. Like, this man is not a socialist. He doesn't believe in healthcare for all, which is the thing that you object. Like, he does not, your life is not going to change. Like, and it's just so wild because, like, ultimately, it's it, it, one, also makes me wonder, like, damn, like, first of all, what would white people do if they had the same lived experiences as black people? Like, if this is your response to the systems that you guys built doing their job, like, what what would you do if something was actually threatening you? You know what I mean? Like, because it's almost, is it's so disillusioned. Like, the, the things that they are objecting, and like, if you watch those video footage of the people, like the news people, the journalists on the ground, interviewing people as they were protesting, they were like, what is your goal? Like, what are you here for? And they would be like, to protect my freedom. And it's just kind of like, what do you mean? Like, what do you mean? And like watching that as a black girl, is just so crazy. Cause I cannot even conceptualize being so angry about my life literally just not changing. When people's actual livelihoods are invested in this presidency that aren't acting that same way. So I'm just, it blows me away. Like, it just blows me away. Like, you guys are that mad about Joe Biden. What? Like, you guys are lucky that it's Joe Biden. <laughs> what do you mean? <laughs> literally, literally, basically, oh, it makes me so, so angry. And even, like, what you were saying, like, how are you this, this, like, how are you this, like, brainwashed? I don't even know what to call that. But it's, like, homegirl who got maced. And she was like, first of all, the memes and recreations. You see the one of like the little boy who was like, does the acting like TikToks. And he was like, it's a revolution. We were trying to storm the Capitol. And I'm like, what? Ma'am, are you? It, it'll blow you away, honestly. But if you don't laugh, you'll cry. Because I'm like, what is this? Even the tweets I saw, just thinking about like the state of this country. There was one where it was like, basically the younger staff members, I think in Pelosi's office, knew what to do for a situation like this because they learned it in high school and like prep for like school shooters and stuff like that. And we were all like, you realize that this is worse, right? You realize the fact that they had that like prior information to be able to know how to prep for something like this. So it's like normalized enough to have the like. Yeah. And like seeing all of, I, I don't know how much you guys are on TikTok, but seeing all of like the high schoolers on TikTok making jokes, being like, haha, this is your first lockdown, like, must be tough, we can give you some tips. It's just like, <laughs> it's like, it's like, like Lauren said, you have to laugh so you don't cry. It's, it's absurd how much we've all been desensitized to like all of this violence. It really is. And it'll just be interesting to watch like now the whole, him being impeached twice. Like I'm kind of, I will say like the one nice part 
and I don't know how realistic this is because ultimately like his approval ratings are still above half among Republicans, which is crazy. But anyways, like his his thing is just falling apart and I don't know that he he did it's his doing like he made this all happen but i'm just like imagining how tight trump is like now he can't even tweet about it like literally can't post nowhere about it just sitting in his little white house like all his staffers done quit like all his supporters are done like trying to kill his co-workers like it's just he's just is literally bombing and then now he's been impeached and like i mean it's only like 10 republicans that you know voted for him to be impeached which is another thing to talk about that we maybe won't do today but like I don't know, like, damn, sir, twice, twice, like, in these two times in one term, <laughs> like, that's... Wait, y'all know that gif of, like, Obama where he's, like, at his desk in his phone and then Michelle, like, takes his phone from him? There was one where he was like, haha, I'm here with two terms and he's over here getting impeached twice. And I'm like, real. He's like, we are not the same. <laughs> it has flop era, as he should be. I'm mad he got this far, but... I will call one, like, call attention to Nancy Pelosi's impeachment dress because all of those memes are going around that she wore the exact same dress the first impeachment as she did this time. And everyone's like, put your impeachment dress on. <laughs> and I think it's hilarious. <laughs> I hate that Twitter, like, has made me like this, but I'm also grateful because, man, we news- you need the love. You need the love. For real. Okay, so on to some more lighthearted things well maybe a little bit we'll we'll speed through this next one but the kamala vote cover so for anyone who doesn't know because apparently it wasn't as widespread as i thought it was but basically kamala harris is vogue's february 2021 cover and the cover was actually dropped before vogue even announced that she would be on it so everyone when it dropped was kind of like is this a joke like nobody really liked the photo from the jump before the vogue even confirmed like everyone was on it and so everyone's like, just like, what is going on with this photo? Like, it's poorly lit. It almost looks like a test shot. Like, the background mm-hmm. isn't set up well. Like, it just is. She's off center a little bit. Like, it just is not the quality that you expect from Vogue, which is, I think, the weightiest magazine title. But basically, it was confirmed. Vogue posted the next day. They announced the cover on Sunday, and they were like, "Look at our new cover star," and it was that photo. And so then everyone was like, "Uh, uh." And you know, in the context of Vogue's poor history of presenting Black women, it was almost made worse because it's just like, damn, Vogue, again, like, again, you're going to do us like this? Like, the first Black woman VP, woman VP ever, like, this is how you're going to do her. And then, to add to the controversy, Kamala, apparently her team had approved an alternative cover that Vogue did release, but not as the main one. So apparently, it's like, in some, at some point, Vogue decided to go a different way from what they had previously agreed upon with Kamala's team. And to make it even worse, the, the cover that Kamala's team had approved was better, I would say. Like, I think everyone would agree. I don't know. What do you all think? Like, do you actually think the cover is bad? Like, do you like it? Do you think that the controversy is fair, worth our energy? I just hate them damn converse that she has on. I'm just like, girl, are you kidding me? Like, Miss VP, really? I'm just, I don't know. I think, yeah, they could have done so, so much better, I think. Especially, like, even in terms of, like, what the, like, you know, the cover is supposed to say, like, as the first Black woman VP, I should be feeling power. I should be feeling, like, women empowerment. And I'm just getting, like, hmm, haha, you know? Like, I'm just like, girl, don't do that. It's, yeah. I'm not here for it. 
I'm surprised that like um you said that they didn't announce it like it was a Beyonce surprise album drop like here you go this is <laughs> like and people really didn't believe it on top of that like that's so that's so embarrassing but like I also wonder who the photographer is because like yeah that's low-key embarrassing like because <laughs> people are really not coming for your work no for real I will say the photographer is bomb like I, Tyler Mitchell shot it and he's the same one who was the first black photographer to ever shoot for Vogue cover last year on Beyonce. So I don't even think it was him. I don't think he's responsible for the set design in that specific shot because ultimately like his photo of her in the blue powder suit, which is my favorite one and is the one that apparently Kamala's team selected is bomb. Like it exudes power, like it is just good. And I don't know, something just really fell through the cracks with that one. Like whoever was handling lighting just didn't do their job. Whoever was handling the set, whoever was doing the styling, like it was just poor all around. And like, I ultimately, I feel like I would love to see, obviously we'll never probably see them, but I would love to see like, what were the options? Cause it kind of is just like, again, it just felt like one of the ones that they might've like taken at the very beginning when they were just like <laughs> seeing if everything was working, you know, it doesn't feel like, ah, uh, like this is the one that we need to go with, so. It does raise some questions, but also apparently Kamala styled herself. I will say that. Apparently Kamala did style herself for the shoot. So we can't blame anybody on the converses but her. <laughs> I'm so tired of her in those shoes. I'm still thinking about her when she had like the complex like sneaker thing as well, or like her with like, was it the Tims when she was coming out of the plane? And I'm like, girl, why are you trying so hard with this? Like, where's the policy? That's what we want from you. We don't care about your shoe game, sis. Come on, please. But child, anyways, again, if you don't laugh, you'll cry because I'm like, why do you look like this? Uh, <laughs> but it's I cannot. She really does look like the like, I had, we had to do it to impose. I swear. Like, standing there and she's like mm. <laughs> giving me oh my gosh wait is that the same thing as the one with no wait is that the one with the white boy with the cat yes, and the, the white oh yes. okay. and she's like joe we did it to him <laughs> <laughs> yeah it was giving me very much damn daniel it was giving me very much like yeah i was not here for it i did not like it but it's okay it's fine Moving swiftly along to like more entertainment news stuff. Uh, let's talk about some shows that we're watching. Has everyone watched Bridgerton? Who, well, actually, no, I know McKean hasn't watched it, but Olivia, I know you watched it. I watched Bridgerton, yeah. I watched it too. I hated it. How about you guys? I think uh, Daphne should have been more of a villain than they presented her as, I'm gonna be honest. I never thought I'd see myself in a situation where I advocated for a man, but in that situation, I am on that man's side. Whatever, the du I forget the Duke's name. I'm on his side. Duke of Hastings, I think his yeah. Name Simon. Yeah. yeah, I'm on Simon's side. I'm very anti-Daphne. I needed a haircut very badly. I was like, sir, why why they do this to you? No, but I, the whole time, like sometimes, depending on the lighting of the scene, like you could not convince me he was not a white man. Like that did not look, that was not a brown skinned boy to me. Like, I was like, Kevin, is this a, like, <laughs> Not Brad. Not Brad. Wait, what? I don't mean to take away from anybody's blackness, but like I was, just, <laughs> I was just like, y'all could have cast. They're casting because also I watched it because of Twitter, and Twitter was going off about how it was so good and like they're so diverse and whatnot. I was like, cut it. This is all light skinned white passing people in my eyes. Like, wait. To clarify, this is Shonda Rhimes' new show, right? No. 
Are there any interracial relationships? We know CeeLo don't. It's only interracial relationships. Yeah, come on. You know there's only interracial going on here. I agree, though. I wasn't I wasn't sure about this whole, like, it's super diverse. Because I'm like, it's like an all-white cast and then, like, one Black family. And then, like, a, occasional, like, Black side characters. So I'm just kind of like, oh, I don't know. I don't know about that. I think they ran with it because the Queen was Black. But I was just like, okay. Because I feel like... Um, the main character's family could have been a black family. Like it would have worked if they were black and it would have been a black love story. Like it was just like, you know what? Let me not fight it. I hated, I hated her bangs. I wanted her to cut them. I could not sympathize with her at all. I thought it was a joke. That's what I'm saying. I'm like, is this real? Am I watching this? Also, I tried to watch it with my mom and like there was like a sex scene in the first like five minutes and I was like, cut it off, cut the cameras, cut the cameras. I was like, uh-uh, we gotta leave. But I saw a TikTok that was talking about it and literally thinking about like the colorism within it, it's basically only light-skinned women that are in relationships. And like the one dark-ish woman you get, which was like, I don't know, like the aunt, not the aunt, but like the caretaker for like Simon the Duke. She was like the single one with like no relationship. I'm like, why are you only showing biracial women as desirable and worthy of love, Shonda? Let's talk about that. And- and they presented the only darker skinned woman as a caretaker. And I'm just like, are you like, what? Because like she, she was a sick character. So I was like, you could have done so much more with that. I thought people were liking it. As someone who has not watched, but like has been kind of watching the discourse on Twitter. I thought people liked it. So like, what do you, what do you, what do you guys rate it? Should I watch it? Is it worth my time? Like one, zero to 10, what would you rate it? One. Ooh, sorry. Okay. I, I really not like it <laughs> i didn't love it the way that people on twitter did but i binged it in one night and it was like enjoyable ish there's a lot of sex it's basically like a couple of episodes are literally just porn it's giving me very much like wattpad porn story vibes but i don't know some of it i guess was kind of sweet also maybe it like even though there is like the issues with like colorism, it is still kind of interesting. Like if you do like period dramas and stuff like that to see those costumes and stuff, I'd give it maybe like a six, probably, I think. I agree, I'd give it, I think it was just nice cause it was very mindless. And I feel like, um, like Lauren said, I binged it in a night. So I'd give it like a solid maybe five. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't think I loved it as much as people online did, but it wasn't terrible. Yeah. Well, that sounds a mess. But in other news, if unless there's anything else y'all want to talk about about Bridgerton, the, in other news, Insecure is being canceled, and my heart broke. Issa Rae announced it after her, the day after her birthday. Like literally, everyone was like, "Love Issa Rae, love Issa Rae," and then the next day, she was like, "Yeah, by the way, like fifth season's gonna be the last." And like, I don't know about y'all. Well, Lauren doesn't watch, and I know Livia doesn't watch, so it's gonna be me and Rania talking about it, but. I'm just like I want to see them like I was prepared to watch the show for the remainder of my 20s like in my head like I was prepared to have this as like a little guide and like a little friend that I would be watching for like a while and now I mean it makes sense because it's kind of like Issa Rae is just on and popping and like it's been a long time but it does hurt it really does I can't lie (laughs) so me and my um friend who's also a film major at UCLA with me um we're talking about it and like neither of us were mad that it was ending like it's gonna be bittersweet because like it's such a good show um but like I feel like Issa Rae is gonna do so much more after this like this was just like the kickstart to her career and like after this season like 
okay, like her and Lawrence are together, they might break up, whatever. Like there's gonna be a, the plot of their relationship. And then, no spoil. that's not a spoiler, sorry. <laughs> and then um, Molly and <clears throat> Issa will probably end up being friends again. And then like, that's it. Like it just- True. It, it does feel like- A wholesome ending. Yeah, it's not even like, my heart is not even about the show. It's just about like, how could you do this to me? Like I'm taking it personally. Mm-hmm. Right, right, <laughs> but it does feel like a natural, you're right. Like. It kind of is like it's run its course. Like you know, Amanda's character, what's her name? Um, gosh, had a baby. Can't think of her name right now. Tiffany. Yes. Tiffany had a baby, and like all, of, I don't know, they're all kind of growing up and like entering like where they might be for their lives. So I think the twenties tone of it has kind of passed, which I or not twenties. They were in their thirties the whole time, but like you know, the the kind of coming of age is almost done. Exactly. Yeah. So I don't know. I'm just. Um, for a long time like insecure for like a couple years it was the black coming of age show and then I feel like for women especially like it I think it had a good um like audience from you know a wide spectrum but like I think like to compare it to maybe Atlanta with Childish um, Gambino, wait, yeah, Childish Gambino, Donald Glover, like I feel like that's like the male version of Insecure or whatnot but I feel like now with it ending like it should open so many more doors for like, there can be like three coming of age uh, shows about black, um, following black characters. Um, yeah, and I feel like sure. Insecure did it so well because like music was such a big part of it. And also like- Those playlists. Right, for real. Like The albums, everyone should like, after this, after you're <laughs> us, literally go listen to the Insecure albums because like just the songs on there, like, Yeah, and I feel like Insecure was so heavily like influenced by LA culture too, like um, for people who, cause you know, it was like based in LA. Um, there's even like a website where you can like go on a tour of all the locations and stuff. Wait, that's so cute. Yeah. All the pictures of the people at the dunes and everyone's always like, I'm sure the people that live in these apartments are tired of these people coming up. <laughs> <laughs> and I feel like now other shows could do that in like other cities um, and just like heavily be influential to like a specific community and a specific like um, group within Blackness. Oh, that's wholesome. Okay, you made me feel better about it. <laughs> All I know before we move on is that I want to see a Gen Z insecure. Like, mm-hmm. I still feel like we've yet to get that and see like our age, particularly and generation so which is so specific culturally i think yeah. represented on screen like no offense to grown yeah exactly <laughs> <laughs> no <laughs> no i watched like the first so half more. it really is i watched the first half of like the first season of that and i was just like mm. you know uh, mm, uh-huh. like <laughs> Maybe a popular opinion, but I don't think Yara Shahidi can act. I was just about to say, no shade to Yara Shahidi, but I'm not a fan Mm -hmm. of her or her acting. Yeah, no, Mm -hmm. it's not for me. I really only think keeping that show afloat, and I know Chloe and Halle's backs are hurting. Hurting! Hurting that show on the... there's nothing else we're not watching it for uh-uh. mm-hmm. it's not but i also feel like people shouldn't look at it like oh grownish uh like we want to show about um gen z like coming of age oh like that's grownish we don't need to do any more of it like no like people should still actively actively be trying to write more like when you think of like uh white sitcoms or white um shows on cable and stuff like that like they're so repetitive like there'll be three shows about um 
just a white family literally right just a white family kikiing or like a white detective solving cases every other episode like you know what i'm saying like so it's not just because like insecure i'm um, not insecure um just because grownish exists like other black writers cannot do that like no we can have more than one like it's okay <laughs> there's space yeah, that's gonna be you you gonna write it we already know <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> period period that was that was a nice read the room that was a good little wrap up i feel rejuvenated that gave me some energy um but as we like move into like the topic of today's conversation like we said this is going to be a conversation about religion especially our experiences growing up in organized religion so just like kind of like wanting to like ground the conversation um we thought it would be like important to talk a little bit about like our upbringing maybe like get a little personal about like our experiences with organized religion so this is like a general question that we can all answer did you grow up in a religious household was it like a situation where you were going to church or mosque every sunday what was your experience like with religion growing up i don't know who wants to go first but feel free to jump in or maybe I can go first, actually. Maybe I'll just kick things off. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> for me, I grew up very religious, like extremely church every Sunday. I taught Sunday school for like pretty much all of my like middle school life. Um, my dad preached sometimes. Um, it was very much like pray before every single meal type of thing. That was like kind of very much the vibe. Um, in my household, just very heavily religious, very Christian as well, I should specify. I grew up Christian, non-denominational, but with more like Baptist tendencies, I want to say. A lot of Bahamian churches tend to be a lot more Baptist. So yeah, that was me. That was me. I can go next. So I'm similar. I was also raised Christian and also non-denominational, but like mostly in Baptist churches. And my mom, interestingly, my parents are both different religions. So my dad is Muslim, but my mom is Christian. And I was raised going to church with her every Sunday, but like occasionally I would go to the mosque with my dad and my grandma. And like, I've, I was raised also like, there were some values that have sort of like morphed and I don't really know where the division is beyond religion. Like I didn't grow up being poor. We've, we definitely have always prayed before every meal. Like, and also my parents like prayer practices are similar. So that's what's interesting. So I feel like, you know, though I was raised going to church and I still go to church, I, I've definitely, one was able through my parents to see like what is what is similar about most religions and then also from that like identify like what do I want to hold on to most strongly as like the core so that's where I'm at Olivia would you like to go next yeah um I grew up also going to church every Sunday um I grew up going to a congregational church so that's like mostly like Protestant I'm pretty sure affiliations um, so definitely, like, I was expected to go to church every Sunday with my whole family, um, but it wasn't as, I think, as strict in my household. Like, we were definitely allowed to, like, ask questions about, like, other religions, and, like, um, my mom is white, so she made, like, a big effort to, like, take us to other different kinds of churches and, like, expose us to a lot of religious practices, and we also didn't, we weren't expected to pray every meal, but I definitely was, like, baptized, confirmed. I went to Sunday school every Sunday, and, like, I'm pretty sure my family, like, we led a couple church services, um, but yeah, so definitely, definitely an every Sunday thing. I still, I don't go to church every Sunday anymore. I stopped um, in high school, but yeah. Um, for me, I grew up um, <clears throat> Sunni Muslim. 
Um, so I'm Muslim. <laughs> and um, I like thinking about answering this question. I was like, wow, I actually did grow up in like a super religious environment, but like it didn't feel like that. Like it just felt like this is just the way you live life. Like you go to um, the masjid on Fridays and like, okay, because also I think a really big part of it, um, which like a lot of people are really shocked to, um, Minneapolis or like the Twin Cities is has such a big East African community there like um, I'm Oromo um, I'm Oromo and Yemeni um, so the biggest Somali uh, community in the U.S. is in um, Minnesota there's um, I think the second largest Oromo community is in Minnesota there's a big Sudanese community like I just lived like I grew up just surrounded by Black Muslims, like strictly, like moving to Los Angeles and moving to UCLA to like a campus that was only 3% Black was such a culture shock to me. Like, and people thought like, oh, this girl coming from the Midwest probably like grew up around white people all her life. I'm like, no, this is the widest environment I've ever been in in my life. Like, like coming here, my friend was like, how many uh, non-Black friends do you have back home? And I had to sit and really think about it. Like, so growing up in a community like that like everything that felt religious or like that i could translate in conversations with people as like oh you grew up in such a religious environment is just like no that's just my community like we just grew up doing those things but um yeah i did grow up in a pretty religious household um it was just like in everything we did it connected back to religion um to some, of some sort yeah that's real i think you know it's interesting because as like my mom is my Christian parent, but she also is Bayesian. And I think that like in Caribbean cultures, I feel like there is a deep, maybe not to the same extent and in the same ways, but there is a deep association and like level in which religion is just deeply like ingrained in like every day, like how things work. Like, it, like I know if I'm spending Christmas in Barbados, like we're working up at 4 a.m. to go to church, but then it's like not just church because it's also like the whole community is there like eating brunch together, like eating lunch and dinner together. Like everyone's coming through my grandma's house on that day, like to eat, like it just is, it is a religious celebration, but it also is just like a communal, like cultural thing. So that's, that's an interesting, I'm, I'm excited to hear more about that. But first we wanted to, I guess we wanted to start with the hard ones <laughs> and we wanted to ask like, have you guys ever felt any riffs or like, challenges or just tensions with the religion that you were brought up in and like if so do you remember when like I I can say for me I remember my, the first time I was like mm, I don't like I have some questions was we were at church and I think I must have been like in middle school or maybe like early high school maybe but I think middle school and I remember there was like you know whenever new people would come to church like they would have to stand and you know introduce themselves and maybe even go up and say some words so there was this new couple that was at the church and I think the the wife was like Latina and the, the husband was black and they went up to the podium and like they were talking and introducing themselves to the to the church and the lady was like telling her story about religion. And she was like, yeah, you know, I used to be a lesbian. And then I found this man and like, he really brought me to God and like, da da da. And I literally said to my mom, I was like, so she's bisexual now? Like, I'm just confused. Like, because that's not how things work. <laughs> and I knew that like morally, I, I don't think that it's wrong to have any, whatever your attraction is. And it was weird to me that she was preaching in this church where there are children who might still be figuring themselves out that like she was turned out almost by a man who God placed in her life. And that's kind of when I, I think that's the first time I was just like, I had a hard time making sense of that. Like, 
and how if that was truly part of the religion if that was part of like it that people just sort of started to subscribe to for whatever reason like that was definitely one of my first times when I was just like this isn't sitting right but I don't really know why yet <laughs> how about y'all for me um i feel like i so i grew up in a very 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 white environment um so my church was like predominantly white and my mom is white so i feel like i less so had problems with the idea of like god itself um rather more so like what people were doing in my community like in the name of god and and i feel like for me we were one of the only black families that belonged to the church or mixed families, but like the blackest family in the church. Um, so like going to Sunday school and like, especially when I was, I think in eighth grade is when we did our confirmations and when we had to go to like all the extra classes to prepare, just like the kids that I was surrounded by, like hearing some of the things they were saying about like other religions, about like Muslims, about Jewish people, about black people, even just like so hateful. Um, so like, I was really just like questioning like the nature of the religion itself and like the idea of church itself because I felt so kind of ostracized by all of their hatred and just like what they felt like they could do in the name of God. So I feel like that led me to question God a lot itself because I hadn't really been in an environment that was um that wasn't like that. So I thought like every everybody was this hateful and like everybody claimed God this way just because I hadn't been exposed to anything else. So I feel like I, I was really questioning that my entire life just because I didn't feel like fully a part of I think that makes a lot of sense. I think honestly, a lot of the challenges that especially like in conversations like this, I've found people have with religion is just like that hateful aspect of it that like religious people don't necessarily feel like they're being hateful. But some of the things you're just like, does that really feel good? Like I think like McKee was saying, a lot of mine came from like understandings of like homosexuality especially and ideas of gender and like the way my family would react even like recently like I just came from visiting home and every time I go home I get into arguments like with my parents and my family about this but I was having a conversation with like my dad about like pronouns and I was just saying like yeah like if somebody tells me that that's the pronouns that they would like like for me to call them I'm going to call them those pronouns that they would like to be called like I don't think that I feel like it'd be a more like awful thing for me to do to like hear them saying that and then completely disregard that and intentionally hurt their feelings instead of just calling them what I feel like they want to be called and be respectful in that way. And like his whole idea was like, no, because then you're condoning it and God doesn't like that, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, God wants you to be mean to this person. God wants you to like intentionally hurt this person. Like that just never made sense to me, especially with the love your neighbor i'm just like that's not feeling very love your neighbory for me and i think aside from that even like i remember specifically being like eight years old and i was at this like church summer camp and they were talking about like how to be saved and stuff like that and i'm a very like logical person so i was like cool i want to be saved like let me know how to do it and i wanted them to give me like step by step i'm like okay you do this 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 and then you checked all the boxes and you're good to go and they kept giving me these vague answers like just accept God into your heart and then you're good to go. And I'm like, that seems very subjective to me. I'm like, I would like some more hardcore steps, please. And I think I've always just, I think little things like that, especially growing up kind of caused rifts because I'm like, this feels very like, there's a lot of different ways to be doing this and it doesn't seem very concrete 
to me and that always just kind of like I don't know in my journey with the Lord that was always very interesting I want to like add on to that about like loving your neighbor and um, whatnot because I think like when I look at the way other like I think with Islam like it's a big thing where people take the religion and mix it with the culture Um, and I think that's something people within the culture do themselves but also like other people looking in run with it Um, and like for me Islam always flowed so well like into my life and just the way it's like reflected into my characterisms and just the way I engage with people like I off the top of my head like I don't remember like ever doubting God or doubting the way like Islam was structured for me like it's just always like just fit into my life the way I felt like I needed to but then there's still like those moments where like if we're talking about um women in Islam or um like like sexism in Islam or something like that like and I would hear people say things I'm like that's questionable but then when I really look back at it I'm just like okay no like this is something people made up. Like God did not say this. Like, cause in my heart, God is not sexist. God does not, God is not colorist. God does not hate people because of their sexuality. Like that's not a thing. Like, um, cause first and foremost, like Islam teaches you like God is the all forgive, like the most forgiving, like God is more forgiving than your mother. So people will take these small things and like run with it and misinterpret it. And I think like those are the moments in religion where I'm like, what are y'all saying? But then when I do like the research on my own or seek knowledge, I'm just like, yep, see, I knew God didn't say that. I know God wouldn't do us like that. (laughs) So, yeah. I think another big thing for me and like my own journey with religion, especially now is like, I don't know about you guys, but I definitely was forced to go to church every Sunday, um, even if I didn't want to. So I think like a big part was that like I was so anti going to church because I had to that like I didn't even like think to like do like all this exploring on my own of just like trying to figure out what God means to me because to me it was like something that I had to do and had to be a part of so I think like now I'm like reconciling with the fact that like it is all about love your neighbor and like God isn't like he's supposed to be like the most forgiving thing and like um just like everything that was already said yeah like I I think I'm only now just like thinking about all those things I think that's important I think that's a really important distinction to make when it comes to religion especially thinking about like when you grow up in it like all of us have and like have been in this religion like since day one thinking about like first and foremost like being forced into it like having to wake up at seven on a Sunday to go to church when you don't really want to or like you know just making it feel like a chore kind of sometimes gets in the way of your relationship with God because you don't see it as something that's like integral, like a part of your life that you're choosing. It's kind of like being forced upon you. And then also sometimes it doesn't really give you the same space like to build that relationship with God on your own and find out how God fits into your life in a way that feels comfortable and makes sense to you, especially in terms of like, again, thinking about organized religion. For the most part, not many people at least like at a young age are going out and like learning things on their own or going out and doing that research. So pretty much all that you're learning about God and about your religion is from what one person is telling you and you're supposed to just like take that and that's that's it. You just like believe it and that's what your relationship with God becomes. So do you feel like, I guess growing up you had that space to like develop religion in your own way or maybe even thinking about now like Olivia was saying that you're in college 
do you find yourself straying away from the relationship that you have with religion when you were younger or is it developing into something new? How is that, I guess, being on your own, being more independent and out of your parents' household kind of influencing the way that you see religion? I can start with this one. I feel like even though there definitely were Sundays where I did not want to wake up, I did not want to go to church, my mama would make me. And I think it was intentional on her part because I don't know if I would have been exposed to God in that way in the rest of the world, not at school, not, I didn't go to religious school. So I, I, and you know, even though most of my friends were Christian, it's not like we were talking about that when we were having play dates or whatever. So I think it was intentional. And, you know, looking back on it, I'm grateful that I went, but, you know, I think also my mom was very like, like she didn't force me to be baptized. And to this day, I'm not actually baptized. And like, I would always like kind of at a point, I felt like I was like the only one that wasn't at church. And, you know, they, I don't know if y'all know this, but like, at least in the churches I was raised growing up in, like there would be that part at the end of the service where they would like invite everyone to the front. And like, if you haven't already been saved, like come up to the front and like, let me introduce you to the Lord, like your savior. And I would like, as I got older, I would, you know, see people closer to my age growing up with their parents or like, I would witness people being baptized. And I kind of wanted it just because I was like, dang, like right now, I feel like I'm the only one that's not that. And like, also I couldn't do communion because like, you know, the Bible says you should only supposed to do it if you've been baptized, I believe. So like my mom wouldn't let me do the little grape juice and like bread on like the first Sundays, but she was always intentional to be like, you know, when you get baptized, like that is your decision and you should be doing it with an intention that is informed and is yours. And I, I didn't get it then. And I kind of was just like, well, I just want to do it because I feel like I'm being told to do it. And like everyone else is in this space of church, but you know, having grown up, I feel like, you know, even now when I go to church, like the church I go to in New York at school is like, it's crazy. Like there's this water like up elevated and like people will be baptized, like in service, like right in front of everyone. And I'm, I think about it still. And I'm sometimes, you know, the same feelings are like, damn, like maybe I should do this. But I also just kind of am like, I don't know if I'm ready yet. I don't know if I know enough about like, what does that mean? And I don't know if like, I can have the correct intention without adequate inform information, you know what I mean? And I also feel like for me personally right now, I don't necessarily feel like it's a necessity like for me to have a relationship with God. And I, I don't necessarily feel like those ceremonial traditions and practices are crucial, like, or with stopping me from knowing God, like, I feel like I should know God first before deciding to do that, not do that and then figure it out. So that's kind of where I'm at. And, you know, I'm grateful that my mom, retrospectively now, I'm able to say, like, you know, even though I felt left out and, like, awkward when I have to pass on the little grape juice and bread on the first Sunday, like, I feel better now knowing, like, I'm, when I do decide to do that, like, it will be my choice. It's not like, oh, yeah, I got baptized when I was younger. Like, oh, yeah, my my mom got me, made me get baptized, like, as a child, you know, like, it will be informed and intentional, which is, I think, the only way that we can really operate in this world. I don't know. But how about y'all? Um, I think for me, um, I definitely felt 
maybe not forced into it by my mom, but it's definitely was something that was like expected of me growing up. And then I think it's so funny, McKean, that you, your mom gave you the choice. Cause for me, like the expectation in my family was we had to go through confirmation and be confirmed. And then we could make the choice whether or not to stop going to church. And it was funny um, cause everybody in my family went through confirmation, got confirmed and then completely stopped going to church in high school. Um, but I think when I was younger and like going through like Sunday school, um, and like we had a bunch of like Sunday like like Bible camps over the summer and like I was in church choir and like I did all the plays and stuff I felt pretty apathetic about what was going on around me like I didn't really feel too invested in the community but I also didn't find so many problems with it that like I thought too hard about it um I think like my funniest anecdote from church um when I was younger was I I I was like very I think I was a very clueless child I, I didn't think too hard about what was going on around me I when, when everybody would bow their head to pray um, in the beginning of church, I, I thought everybody was holding their breath. I didn't think people were like saying things in their head because that wasn't really fully explained to me. Like I didn't know what was going on. So when I was a kid, I would just hold my breath. And it went on for so long that I, I, I passed out a couple of times at church. And it took my mom like asking me why I kept on passing out at church. Like she had to explain to me that I was supposed to be talking to somebody. Like it, it just like never crossed my mind, like what was going on. Yeah, like I just had absolutely no idea what was going on. So um, I think like going through confirmation when I was actually learning about this religion and what was going on and like the people in my church community, that's when I took fault with it and was like, I don't really want to be a part of this anymore. Um, but I think I think now being exposed to like different kinds of religions and different kinds of like Christianity and Catholicism, I'm like, I think reevaluating a lot more and like kind of missing the community that I feel like I should have found in the church growing up. So just kind of like, just like thinking about all those factors, but definitely a weird experience growing up. I definitely was not as informed as I should have been, I think. Um, <laughs> um, for me, I think like what I've realized as like an adult now that like a lot of the way that religion showed up in my life was like, it just intertwined with like my community so much so that like I never felt like going to like the masjid on Fridays or like going to like my Quran class it was just like I, like as a kid of course I was probably like I don't want to be waking up or something like this but it was never like I don't like my religion like I don't want to have to go to the masjid and sit here and listen like because it always felt like it was a link up like I'm gonna go to the masjid and I'm gonna see like all my homies and then like what we on like you know what I'm saying like so it just um it just because like it felt like religion easily showed up in my environment like it didn't always feel like an effort I had to put in and now that I live on my own um far away from that sort of community like in the year or so that I lived in LA I haven't gone to a mosque here um ever because I live in like the nearest mesha to me is not even like close um and it's just like now my relationship with god is actually like me personally putting in that effort um because it doesn't just show up like around me as much as it used to and i think like now especially with um like quarantine and living alone and all that stuff and just like my own coming of age story it's like it's a lot of reflecting on like my life and like um my upbringing and whatnot and like finding healing from 
things and whatnot. So that's like how I would define my relationship with God now. It's not more so of like me understanding like, why do we pray five times a day? And why do we fast during Ramadan? Like I already got that in my childhood. Now it's like, how do I actively um, incorporate God into like my spirituality and my well-being and like my future success? That's like, so that's how like religion is different for me now as an adult compared to when I was younger. I think adding on to that, something that I really wanted to talk to you about, Olivia, because we've had these conversations before, is like the, I guess the differences that you found in growing up in like a non-Black church, with like a white church versus like as a Black girl, basically, and kind of just like what the main differences that you found were in terms of like maybe like the teachings or like the community environment that we're talking about and then not really feeling that and like also where you think those main differences stemmed from because I know we've had conversations before and I'll let you go like deeper into it about like how white people view Christianity versus how black people view Christianity there's a lot of differences there so just like let us know just like talk about it yeah so I think it's really interesting even that me saying like I grew up having the room to be apathetic about what was going on in my church and like having the room to be so uninformed Lauren and I have talked about this many times but like I think it was just like kind of a pleasant environment. A lot of like the preaching was just about like how God is love and like God is going to love you and like forgive you no matter what. And like, it was never taught to me that I had to sacrifice anything for God. It it was never taught to me that I had to submit to anybody. Um, That was just, it never came up. It was never discussed. So I had room to feel apathetic because I was like, God is going to love me no matter what. I don't have to sacrifice. I don't have to submit anything. Like I don't have to change who I am at all because like God isn't about suffering like I don't need to go through trials for him like it's it is what it is what it is and I think hearing you know other people's experiences in church especially specifically like black churches hearing what Lauren uh, Lauren and I have talked in the street many times about just like the differences about like what you're supposed to go through for God um, I think it gave me a lot more room to just take my time with like trying to figure out what was going on um but it's definitely really interesting and like i was going to be a religion major before i switched to urban studies and even then like the differences in what is taught and preached in black churches about how you're supposed to not you're supposed to suffer here but you might suffer here because heaven is the end goal versus in my church growing up it's like you're going to have a good life here and god is going to love you and then like heaven is just a bonus i think it deeply rooted still in white supremacy. Um, And I I just never really realized that until college. And I I thought that was really fascinating. Yeah, definitely. Every time we had those conversations, it never really clicked for me that there was different versions of Christianity, which obviously like makes sense. And like some of the like, like things that we've hinted at here and there that like with organized religion, there is definitely the ability or like more of a capacity because it's taught and like this mass setting to push like certain agendas or to have these like underlying ideas within it that might not be exactly from the word or maybe it's just like different translations or different like interpretations of what God's word is supposed to be saying. But even just thinking about, yeah, like the whole idea that I had growing up in my like black like church environment was like, you should, you know, decline all of your pleasures. You should like make these sacrifices. And like, that is what God wants from you. And then hearing that that wasn't the rhetoric that you grew up with in church was just so 
fascinating to me and I'd never thought about it that way and thinking about it so you you've been to like some like black churches like since so you've seen the difference and for you I guess in understanding like what your relationship with God kind of looks like for you now personally what type of church do you feel like you prefer or like where do you feel most comfortable and closest to God then considering what you grew up with and then now the differences that you've seen um, I definitely feel like I have only ever felt God's presence in Black churches. Um, definitely music is a big part of it. There is absolutely no soul in white churches, at least the white churches that I have encountered. I don't want to make that blanket statement and offend anybody, but... No, I'd be wondering about white church, so... <laughs> yeah, there's, there's no soul. There's, like, no rhythm. There's nothing really going on there. Um, it's pretty dead. It's pretty it's lifeless to me, or at least that's how I felt growing up, which is why I, I think I felt so apathetic about it. Um, I, I think it's, it's a, it's a privilege and also like, so egotistical to think that you, that you have, that somebody would have the space to not submit to God and not submit to this higher being. Um, and I definitely think that, that only white people really think that way, that they don't have to change themselves at all, that like, they don't need to be like this better person. And like my church, like they did some outreach, but there wasn't really that much like interaction with the community. Um, and like we border um, Bridgeport, which is like a major city and like a lot of poverty there. And we did nothing really within those communities. And yet still to like sit on like our church on a hill and be like, God's gonna love us no matter what, even though like we're terrible people. I think like obviously God's not gonna be in that space. So like I've definitely like had to like reconcile with the fact that like I think my relationship to God would have been way closer in a black church just because like the few times that I have gone and like been honored to be in those spaces, like that's 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 it. Like white churches, it's wild. It, there's just I don't even I don't even know how to explain it. Like there's a there's a drastic difference. And like I think there's also a drastic difference in the way that community interacts with itself. Like there's there's nothing really tying together a white community because there's no communal, there's no communal suffering or sacrifice or like there's no communal outreach to help each other because everybody's so such an individual and like the relationships with God are so individual and they can be whatever you want. Um, and I think there's some there's some blessings to that. Like um, I think like like my perception of like sexuality and being a woman, I think um, I had a lot more freedom because of that, but also um, there's nothing tying people together, which I think is a major aspect for, of religion, at least for me. Mm, that's so interesting. Like, because I, I think, you know, when I think to both what Rania was saying earlier and also when I think to like my favorite experiences in church, it was almost those like, it wasn't really the preaching per se. It was really like, I love the part of black church. I don't know, maybe white churches do this, but like there's a part in the church where people just hug each other. And like, that's so beautiful to me. Like that is literally part of the service. Like, oh, do white people do that? Oh, that does not <laughs> happen in white churches. We don't touch each other. There's nothing, none of that goes on. Yeah, no. Like, it just it doesn't make, I, I don't know. I've never been, I've, I've had white friends in middle school. So I would like see it, but I was just like, mm. but anyways, <laughs> not the point though. It's just interesting that, I don't know, that's a whole other conversation, but like, that is really fascinating. I think Taranya, we were, well, the reason we wanted this to be an interfaith conversation was because we know that experiences can, although there's a lot of overlap in religion, there are a lot of differences. And I also, you know, in sort of thinking about how we can make this as engaging as possible and sort of 
get to all of the points in such a deep and heavy conversation. We wanted to talk a little bit about your experience, not only as someone who practices Islam, but also someone who wears a hijab. And we, what triggered this thought mostly was, I think we saw a tweet that was like, I don't know, I forget the exact tweet, but it was just like talking about the trope of of hijabi wearing or hijabis in film and TV. And like, there's always that moment where like, I don't know, someone for whatever reason, she has to take it off and like reveal herself or like, you know, it, there's just always weird sort of discourse around like wearing them. And also I think a lot of more recently, like white feminists specifically have sort of taken this narrative of like, it's oppressive to have to wear one, which is also like problematic. And I, I think the problem that we realized is like, a lot of the discourse we've heard about hijabs is not from people that wear them themselves. So I think we would love, you know, not to put you on the spot, but just to love, love to hear about your experience wearing and growing up. Like, what is your thought about it now? And, you know, I don't know what we just, anything you might offer in that. Yeah. So I started wearing my hijab, like really young. Um, and it was like, it just happened. Like I personally, I love my um, hijab story. Like but I only say it to Muslim girls um, or Muslim people because if I like at the time I was living in Yemen, um, which is the country my dad's from, um, and the story just sounds would just sound so bizarre to like non-Muslims looking in like that's so oppressive or whatever. But it's literally just like no, that's just how Yemeni people are. Like they're just aggressive and whatnot. Like it's a yeah, but like I've always loved like how I started wearing it and how like. I think I was in the second or third grade and I've, I'm like, I'm a, I'm a second year in college and like, I'm still wearing it. I've never taken it off. Like I could count with my hands, like, um, how many men uh, see my hair that shouldn't have like, <laughs> so, um, yeah. Yeah. I think that was, that was cool to hear. I mean, anything else you have to say, like, do you feel like a lot of times people assume things or do you feel like they're, you know, an assumption about you or an assumption about how people should treat you if that aren't Muslim when you encounter it? I think like um, when I tell people that like, oh, I started wearing my hijab in the second or third grade and they're like, oh, so you were really young. Like, I feel like th something I always automatically say right after is like, but my older sister doesn't wear a hijab. Like, just like really trying to be like, this wasn't something someone like really forced on me like I have like in my um like out of all my best friends who are all Muslim women as well like I'm the only one who wears hijab and that's like perfectly okay like I think when people just meet me singularly on my own they think like my mom probably wears the niqab and my sister's like you know probably married and just like these bizarre things and I'm just like no 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 like that's not like I'm just a regular person who I'm just like a regular black girl just in a hijab um and with a whole narrative in television right on my alley, um, <laughs> get me in the writer's room because we will not be having it anymore. It's bizarre. It's just like, it's always the plot of like, she took it off. She fell in love with a white boy. Her dad did this to her. Just like these crazy things where it's just like, there can, like, I think there is room for there to be a story about a girl um, discovering her relationship with the hijab. But like, I feel like that would have to be told through the narrative of um, a Muslim person first, obviously. Um, but also like, why is she doing it? Is it because she fell in love with the white boy or is it because she's having these moments in religion? Because um, like 
my best friend, for example, like she used to wear the hijab and she no longer does now. And I feel like her story is probably relatable to so many other Muslim women and that's okay for that to be televised. But like, how is it being done? Is it being done through the narrative of like some man like forced her to do it and God hates her now kind of thing. Um, and I think like with me um, in film school and like pursuing a career in entertainment, like, um, like I've mentioned, like just in the community that I grew up in, like the, like more specifically, like the black women in um, Minnesota, like there's like some of the most amazing women ever. Like they're really the backbones to that city, like the backbones to that community. They have so much to offer. They're like so vibrant, so lively. And it's just like, it's just it's just like always such good energy and i feel like that should be how um black muslim are seen on television just like minnesota it's the midwest like what do we do for fun like we're gonna be at a lake parking lot megan the stallion blasting like you know what i'm saying just like just lively people and i feel like that's how like we should be depicted like we're out here getting our degrees we're out here um engaging in communities being like activists and, and whatnot just like we have so much more to offer than our hijab like who cares like not who cares but like who like who wants to keep seeing that like she has a hijab on she doesn't have a hijab on whatever she's still a, like a girl and this is her story and whatnot um and also like as a writer myself like as a hijabi writer when i'm writing these characters because I'm strictly just writing stories for Black people. Come on now. <laughs> but when I'm, <laughs> and when I do that, like, as a writer, like, when I get my writer's block, like, it's a lot of, I don't want people to interpret this the wrong way. And I feel like, um, like, if I'm writing a story about a girl um, or, like a, like, a trauma of some sort, like, I don't want people to be like, this was an opportunity to depict um, Black Muslims or black women in this light and you decided to make it an oppressive story you know what I'm saying like um because that's a, like my genre of writing is in drama um so I feel like that's something I'm always cautious of of like not it like I don't want there to ever be a white person watching my thing like mm -hmm, that's exactly what I thought like no 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 <laughs> that's not true but like I think it's so important for writers to be writing like like avoid the one dimensional narrative because um, there's so much more to offer and it's like you can have a story about someone like discovering their relationship with God and Islam and whatnot but like what else like what else are they doing just as a person like discovering themselves in this country or in the world that we live in yeah that was beautiful also I feel like the scene of the lake parking lot with Meg the Stein playing, like I literally visualize this as like an opening scene to like a film you write one day or a movie or something because like, I, I don't I don't know what you said about, one, I think it's a conversation about agency and it, it I think all the narratives we've seen, like sort of like you said, it's like her dad forcing her to wear it and then some man other, not other outside of her family is introduced and like now she's forced to go that way and makes xyz decision but it doesn't give her any agency one in her choice of religion but also sort of outside of it and i i don't know i feel like i just can see that like and i love that for you and i think you know it is an interesting balance to think about you know talking about pain and 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 struggle and trauma but also talking about the moments of joy that exist outside of those realms and like the way that you know, honestly, I, I can imagine that maybe only like 
these only the only these things come up when someone like brings to your attention like oh you're wearing a hijab like huh because you're like yeah this is like every day like whatever like what about it so i i, I don't know that's a beautiful thing think about that but no we cannot wait for you to write something whatever you write we will be here we always gas everybody up who comes on our episode but we will be there we will be watching we'll be supporting and yeah <laughs> so our final question and this is how we close every episode you know, regardless of the weight of the conversations that we have, we like to end on a happy note and talk about the things in our lives that are bringing us joy. And I feel like, you know, these days it's so much, it's so easy to go every day and like keep, you know, the things that are hard at the front of mind. But, you know, what are some things that are making you guys happy these days, making you smile? I'll go first. I went plant shopping yesterday and it was absolutely amazing. I got three plants. I'm trying to remember what they're called. I think I got a peace lily and then I got two pothos. One's a neon. I don't know if that means anything to anybody, but a neon and a jade pothos and a peace lily. So they're up in my room right now. I got the cutest little pot as well. So I'm trying to decorate more. I have these it looks like a prison in here because I never decorate my rooms at all. It's like the complete opposite of Olivia's room. There's just nothing on my walls at all. So yeah, I'm trying to decorate more, maybe put some stuff up on my walls and be a little bit more creative, you know, try with that. So, um, I can go next. I was also really struggling to think of something, but I'm really happy I got um, an internship this for this semester that I'm actually really excited about. Um, it's with an NGO where like I really like vibe with their mission statement and like all the work that they're doing. Um, so I'm really excited to work with them and like excited to like learn um, more about like all the work that they're doing and like see what they're doing with them. Um, it's it's all about like reimagining orphan care. So I'm really excited um, and I think they're like pushing the boundaries in a really interesting way. So that'll be like a nice relief from I feel like Columbia and like online school. Period. I will, I guess I'll go next. Normally I'm like always trying to go last because it's sometimes hard, but I have one. So this week was the first week of our semester and this semester I'm taking a bunch of black classes. Like that is literally it. And I also finessed my schedule to only have two days of classes a week. And I'm very happy about that also. So like last semester I was taking some stupid class with a white man called inequality and poverty and mobility and it was me and one other black girl in the class and it was terrible like after everything that happened over the summer just to sit in class every week and listen to white people debate about like why black people are still poor like was awful like literally the worst thing so i'm getting my reparations this time and i'm only studying with i have a professor named tyrone i never thought i would see this in my day so i'm very happy (laughs) for you even though he assigned a whole book but we won't talk about it we won't talk about that part but i'm feeling grateful studying black women on Columbia's, well, not on Columbia's dime because ultimately I'm paying them, but you know, I'm gonna do it anyways. (laughs) Uh, This was like a hard one to answer, like, you know, in the middle of a panoramic and whatnot, but like, um, honestly, what's been bringing me joy lately is just knowing that um, I'm gonna be graduating early this year. So I'm just really trying to push through and wrap this up. And it's just like bringing me joy is just thinking about like, I'm gonna spend all of my twenties not as a student. Like I have no plans of going to grad school. So that's just been making me so happy. So every time I'm like, it's almost 11.59 and I didn't start this assignment. At least this time next year, you won't be here. Like this won't be a concept. Like 11.59 will not have your heart beating double time, so. That's just been making me so excited and so happy. 
even though it's like that is absolutely amazing period literally oh my gosh wait when did you start college i'm just curious because you said you're 19 and i'm like damn i want that <laughs> um what i my last two years of high school, um, I was in high school, but I was also in college. Like I was taking college classes. It was kind of like this program where you're able to take um, a couple credits, um, a couple college credits. Um, and I was just like, let me do this full time, actually. <laughs> and I did. So, um, wow. yeah. <laughs> Congratulations. Uh, you reached the end. I'm, I love that for you. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. system. <laughs> yes well that's all that we have for you guys today thank you so so much olivia and rania for coming this was such a pleasure i really could talk to two of you all day but yes thank you everyone for tuning in and also we can't wait for you guys to be the second part of the religion series next week on spirituality and yeah there's just so so much we could honestly do like a whole season about everything that there is to talk about religion but yeah yeah no that's real yes i'm looking forward to next week's episode too and i'm just grateful like i think we've had such different perspectives in this episode and different upbringings despite overlaps and i think that was really exciting and made this a, a different from other religion conversations i've heard in the past at least which is valuable so thank you guys for making that happen and help, helping us make that happen in the meantime for those listening you know you guys can keep us with, up with us on instagram at black girl blueprint and on twitter at the girl blueprint and you know dm us like we want to chat like y'all are always listening to us talk we want to hear from you let us know what you want to hear like if you have some tea for the next read the room like shoot us a little message we're always here for it and yeah. yeah, and if you like this episode, you can let us know. You can hit that little subscribe button. You could also leave a little review. Maybe rate us a little five stars, you know, if you're feeling very generous or whatever. And yeah, thank you again, Olivia, Rania. We love you both so, so much. And thank you for having us. Thank you. Of course. Bye, y'all. Okay, bye.